Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Porter. And I'm Nadine Smith. And this is Canada Horse Podcast brought to you by Informed Equestrian. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. Here on Canada Horse Podcast, we are spotlighting the Canadian horse industry while serving our mission to help bridge the knowledge gap for horse owners by offering the whys behind the decisions we make for our horses from their tack to their trainers, to their vet care, and everything in between. Our listeners are encouraged to use the information offered here on the Canada Horse Podcast to make informed choices that suit their individual needs. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd. Hello, this is episode 37 of Canada Horse Podcast. Nikki and I have had a busy few weeks with our horses, and we're excited to talk about the clinics we took with Franco Bertolani and Alex Ross. We had been waiting over two years for them, and it was well worth the wait. Yes, it was. So within two weeks, we went to two clinics in different disciplines with two clinicians (laughs) who teach quite differently, actually, from one another, which was really cool and interesting. What we want to do here is break down some of what happened and through discussing our experiences and takeaways, we hope that you will go into your next horse trip with a couple of tips on how to handle things that come your way. And that could be either a clinic, a show, or even just a ride off the property. Yeah, we've talked quite a bit about how much we like to go to clinics, Nikki. And I think that a lot of our listeners also are on that lifelong pursuit of learning about horsemanship and different riding disciplines. So I'm hoping that even though we're talking about more clinics (laughs) that we can kind of offer some takeaways for people. Yeah. And if you are wondering some specific clinic tips on like how to best prepare and how to really get the most out of your clinics, go to episode 23. Is it minute 45 to 59? Is that what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We went back and just because we have offered some specific tips on, on what you can do that if you go to that episode 23, like Nikki said, minute 45, you'll get that. Okay. But here today, we really want to dig into the clinics that we went to and then just some, some experiences that we learned from, and we hope that they help you when you go to your next event. I think, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) First of all, we had these two clinics jammed into two weeks, and that is a lot. That is a lot lot. for your horse, your brain, your family, your your bank account. (laughs) I was going to say the gas for the travel and all of the things, but we were very, very happy to finally get to these clinics. So first of all, Nikki, can maybe you just give an understanding of who Franco Bertolani and Alex Ross are? Yeah, sure. So Franco is a million-dollar reigning rider. Then we have Alex Ross, who is a ranch rider, also has a a background in pleasure, and he was the president of AQHA. So we have two very complementary sort of disciplines, I would say, because you do see a lot of people who locally, if they have a rainer and they go to a raining show, you'll see ranch classes in the raining shows and that sometimes they'll kind of go from one discipline to the other. Um, so I do feel like they're complementary that way, 
But when you break it down and you look at how these clinicians taught, uh, they came from pretty different perspectives. So it was really interesting. Yeah, I think I love the way you put that, that they're, they're very complementary disciplines, but the clinicians couldn't have been more different. So let's start with Franco. So he was our first clinic and there were 15 people. Yeah. So we showed up and there was like no indication of how it was going to be run until the night before. So then once we figured it out, we realized we're going to come in in groups of five and ride twice a day. And it ended up to almost be like, it it flowed well. Yeah, it did. It was a, it was a long day for him, but it flowed well. We weren't sitting on our horses all day. We got the horses got to leave as soon as we were done of our part. And then we would just come in kind of as it was our turn again. He had a plan laid out. Yeah. So it was his goal to go over all the reigning maneuvers during those, was it three days? It was two, two days. days, two days, two days. Oh my gosh. But we rode two times each day. Yeah. And we got through all the reigning maneuvers. We did. So the first one was circling and speed control. So that was our first ride, which I feel like it's a really nice introduction. Um, oh, and before we even rode, actually, when I think of introduction, uh, we were the first group in with you and I, I was on Ford, mm-hmm. you were on bow. And, um, it was really cool to be able to watch him work with a two-year-old. So he showed us the foundation of the maneuver on how he would put that in on the two-year-old. And then he would get on a broke horse and demo the broke horse. And then we would do the exercise or it wasn't even exercise. It was, it was cool because he didn't really give us exercises. We did the thing. And then he showed us fixes within the maneuver, which was great. Yeah. I really, I've never had a clinician come and say, you don't even have to ask me to ride your horse. Don't worry. I'll ride each of the horses. Yeah. And so I guess that's maybe a thing. Like some people go to clinics and they really want the instructor to ride their horses. Um, I know that happens. Sometimes you guys have people and sometimes you're a clinician and you're just like, can't pinpoint what the feeling of the issue is. So you're like, can I get on that horse? Um, so he actually rode every horse, I think throughout the clinic, which was really Um, neat because we kind of got to pick and choose. Oh. Actually, no, he only rode our group's horses as the demo horses. So he, that it was just, it was a bonus for us in that first group because he wanted to demo the maneuver. That's why like Emily had her horse, the, the demo for the circles Ford was the demo for the spins. Bo was for the stops. Bo was for the stops. And I have to remember the lady's name. Was it Laura? Laura Laura from Newfoundland. Uh, She has a really cool horse and he was the The lead lead changes. And what else was it? Lead changes and rollbacks. Oh, right. So that was, that was definitely a privilege. He did get on someone else's horse and that was uh, a horse during the stops. He got on to kind of work the stop on one other horse, but I don't recall seeing him really on anyone else's. Okay. So this brings up a point that, well, okay. So way back when we've talked about when we went to audit Casey Deary and there was a conversation between us and some other friends that were watching. And we at the time said, Oh, if I was in a clinic like this, I would want to be in the first group because you get to hear all of the explanations. And they were like, no, 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 no. You don't want to be in the first group. Then you're sitting there for so long. Cause you have to like go through all of that. I experienced that with this (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I got to understand like 
you go out to warm up your horse and then you warm up your horse and then you sit for an hour while you listen. Mm -hmm. And so there is a bit of a downfall, but then him riding the horses was definitely a pro for that. And also, as we talked about in that episode 23, if you listen to that, we had talked about how much you gain from listening to all of the groups. And if you don't listen to that first group, you often miss out. So yeah. Whether you're in there sitting in auditing for the first group, if you're in the next group, or if you happen to be in the arena for it, then yeah, it's helpful. One thing that I found interesting about this clinic versus some other clinics that I've been to, and I'm not even sure if you and I had an opportunity to discuss this yet, but when we showed up, we just like showed up in the arena. We warmed our horses up. He might've watched like a little bit, but there wasn't really an introduction time. So he didn't have us walk up with our horse and be like, okay, tell me about your horse or your experience. There was a expectation that our horse was broke and was able to do the job and that we were experienced enough to complete the task. And I found it very interesting as someone who is new to the discipline to not have an opportunity to say, I'm new. Or like not defend what I was showing, not explain why I wasn't as strong in one area or as I'd like to be, or that I wasn't strong in one. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have an opportunity to tell him all the the stuff. So do you feel like that took away your self-handicapping? Yes, for sure. And so after listening to Franco for a couple of days, I would say it's because he doesn't care what your excuse is. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> in in the very nicest way. Yeah. Like he, he was not a man that really cared what your excuse was. He was like, no, well, we'll just go fix it. Yeah. I'm gonna go yeah. practice more. Yeah. Go yeah. do the things like yeah. doesn't really matter what the problem is. Just keep working at it. You know? Yeah. I, I really like- appreciated yeah. that because I can bring the excuses too. Yeah. I remember walking up on kicks and feeling like for the very last exercise where we had to do a counter canner. And I wanted so badly to be able to say, I've never, I've never really counter countered this horse. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to be able to say that. And I had to do a lot of internal work over those two days to be like, there's no point in it, in saying anything. He doesn't care and not in a mean way, but it doesn't matter. My, me telling him that doesn't matter because if I'm at the experience level that I should be to be in that clinic, then I should be able to work with the horse, whether I wrote it three times, one time, 1500 times. I think we got leveled up. I think we entered ourselves into a clinic that required us to be leveled up. And the thing is, is that Franco never met us before. So not only did it not matter what our excuses were, he didn't, there was a benefit in him not knowing us previously because, you know, we've talked about Jim Anderson and we've come on such a journey with him from just, we didn't even do reigning when we very first started with him to now we do. And so, but he still remembers those times, right? So Franco sees us as fresh people who are entering a reigning clinic with a very highly recognized NRHA rider. And we needed to know how to guide our horse, steer him, stop him, change leads, ride a canner canner and do all of those things because otherwise, why would we be there? That's right. It's interesting too, because it reminds me of you working on what I know, because I know you as your hardest maneuver. 
and watching the process. So, and I've talked about this on Take the Reins, where I talk about really holding on to our stories and having the story that we have created around our skill level or our horse or whatever, what we believe we're good at or not good at, and how that keeps us stuck versus just being able to move forward. So mine used to be the stop and yours probably was the lead change and not having the opportunity to talk about that story, to bring up that story and just going and writing it. I felt like, I felt like I was on fire when I was stopping. Like I didn't feel like that was my weakest point. I felt like I was like, okay, I can do this. I had myself set mentally to not go in there with that being my handicap. I went in there determined to learn and just get more comfortable and confident. And he probably didn't know that I, that would be where I feel like I struggle the most. And for you, I remember you doing your lead changes. And what did you say to him? As soon as you finished your lead, I was like, if you only knew how much time I put into that being that easy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay, well, cool then. That's yeah. good. You don't need any more work on that. <laughs> like, All right. And, and I mean, it may, we may have set ourselves up differently had we sat there and been like, oh, this is my most difficult maneuver. And no, you just go and do the job. Yeah. There comes a point when you have to do the work at home in order to go somewhere and feel confident enough to do it in front of someone else and actually learn instead of just being there and being in your head the whole time. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we definitely both did that with the lead change and with the stop and, you know, watching you and how you were finished up and you're like, I could do that all day. And I was like, Oh, I think I need more work on this now. (laughs) Oh my God. It was, it was so fun. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the setup of the clinic. So now we know that with Franco, we had the, the very clear lessons that we were walking into. We knew when we were going into our next lesson, the exact maneuver we were working on and we knew who we were riding with. It was just very, very clear. So then maybe we should talk about the location of the clinic. So I think that's really important. Um, when it comes to different clinics, they require different things. So for instance, if you're at a reigning clinic, you need to have the space to be able to circle and work the actual maneuvers and practice maneuvers. Uh, we were definitely lucky to be able to host this at uh, Travis Smith's barn. It's his new facility and the horses absolutely loved their stalls. I wanted those stalls and those automatic water. <laughs> you yeah. know, I felt that was a, that was a treat to show up and have the stalls be so big and so bright. And the barn was very nice and you felt very comfortable in there. And yeah, we had the space, the indoor arena was attached so it didn't matter that it was freezing cold and raining all weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. And so, and there were a lot, there was quite a bit of space for auditors and things like that there. One note about that, I find, I don't know if anybody listening is riding in a clinic and starts to feel the pressure from the audience, but it was very interesting when we were focusing so much on what we were doing. I had no idea who was there. It was no. just an interesting point to to notice that once you are so focused and you don't think about who, who could be watching you or critiquing you or something, you just don't even don't care. 
it's interesting. I would have said that I felt that or like learned that skill to like ignore the fact there's even people there and just focus on the task at hand. I would have thought that came from my experience in just showing my whole life, but I love that you had that experience as well. And maybe it's way less about show experience and way more about your mental focus and where you're putting your energy. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just think I felt very different about this clinic, the expectation I had of myself going into it that I felt like, okay, if you're going to enter this clinic with such professional people, there's several, several professional riders in this, like at a high level where I'm still like pretty basic at the reining, even though we've been practicing a lot, I haven't had a lot of chance to show. And so just wanted to come in with a good mindset and feel like I belonged and I felt like I did that. So it's yeah, you definitely all of the above, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So the location was great there. The footing we did discuss because Mm -hmm. it had been damp. And so because of that, there was a little bit of an issue with the stopping. And so we did discuss how important it is to know the composition or the situation of the footing when you're actually asking your horse to stop versus just practicing a straight rundown and then just slowing down. Yeah. So it was unfortunate with the weather because I, I believe the footing was probably quite good for mm-hmm. stopping from like the week before and yeah. then the air, because it was wet and damp and gross, it just, it's new footing. So it soaked up the moisture. One end was better than the other. And again, that's something to consider when, when you're working your horse as well, but uh, otherwise I think, yeah, I think that the, the venue definitely suited the clinic. And you know what else is important when it comes to a clinic? If they don't have um, food there for you, that there are restaurants close by and it was such a good location for, you know, just two minutes down the road, there were drive-throughs and places where you could eat and grocery store and liquor store and gas station. It, it does make it a nicer environment and situation when those things are so close to you. Yeah. It was a pleasant surprise when I Googled Tim Hortons and it was 1.2 kilometers away (laughs) or two point something kilometers away. It was great. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So should we, is there anything else you want to talk about that Franco clinic? The atmosphere of the clinic. I'd love to talk about that for a second. And that for me, I felt like the atmosphere was really positive. I didn't feel like we were in an environment where it was really clicky or you couldn't go and sit down next to this person or like people were talking about people while they were in the arena. I felt like it was all very open. It was filled with people who were looking to ask questions, invested in learning. And it felt like we were all on a pretty level playing field in that arena, whether it was auditors or riders. And I don't know if that was just a personal experience on my own, um, if other people felt the same way, but I, I try to be receptive to that sort of energy and like what's happening in the building. And it felt really good to me. Yeah, it was really nice. And there were several local trainers and coaches that came like other clinicians and they were asking questions. So great to see the people that you know, are around here winning our open shows, sitting in the audience, asking questions yeah, and continuously wanting to learn. And so I thought that was really great. Our local trainers who were in the clinic did a great job of, you know, promoting their own training and doing a great job with their own horses and things like that. And I felt the encouragement of everyone and I felt happy for everyone. And, you know, similarly people 
all went through their own little struggles. Like each person probably has their own maneuver or situation that they struggle with. And you can relate to that. Yeah. You know, I've been there. Oh, that was a hard ride. You know, I know you struggle with that, or that was really difficult. It's, it's hard to learn a new thing on the spot. Right. Yeah. Now so. as a, as a clinic participant in a clinic where there's already that amount of pressure, because, you know, you're at a higher end clinic where there's certain things, if you're there, you're expected to know them. So that you come in with that pressure and it's, it's, I feel it's a make or break pressure. And I feel like both of us were able to like step up to it versus have it make us, and I'll tell you a story about when it wasn't quite so <laughs> yes. for me later. Um, but it was less to do with the pressure and more to do with the mental capacity. <laughs> so, so would you, okay, sorry. I didn't, I mean to interrupt. Well, I was just going to say, I want to just address the fact that as a clinic participant, watching you know, people in the arena struggle and say, and I don't mean like people were having a hard time, but I mean, everyone had something to learn. No one went into every lesson and had him say, perfect. That's fantastic. You're doing everything right. Everyone had something to work on. And sometimes when you're at a clinic, when I talk about the energy, you can feel that there's like backhanded conversations from people who are sitting and watching. And that's just mm -hmm. reality. And you can see it at horse shows and you can see it at clinics. And I just want to talk about the fact that it feels really good as a clinic participant when that feeling, when you don't see that, when you don't see people like whispering and making it feel like it's a judgment, like a, a judgy place. Right. It didn't feel that way at all. And no. so maybe, you know, maybe it's our responsibility as riders to be able to block that out. But I also think it's the responsibility of the people watching to recognize the impact that makes on the riders when it's just this really cool, positive atmosphere where people are just all there to learn and do. And it's just, it doesn't have that judgment piece. Okay. I'm going to say something. It might not be popular. Go and for it. Okay. And it's something that we've talked about privately and like in other groups of people, I feel that part of the reason why we had such a positive experience and why we're saying the things that we're saying about that clinic is because every single person was prepared. So yeah. every person in the clinic was prepared. So it didn't offset the balance. Okay. So if somebody had come into that clinic, which was a you know, an upper level reigning clinic who didn't know what to do, or their horse didn't do the things that they needed to do mm -hmm. in order to just like fine tune those things. There might have been that, oh, well, this is making it drag on longer. You know, like that person right. is taking up an extra 20 minutes of time because they've never counter countered their horse. Right. So, so balance with the expectation and the yeah experience level of the horses and the riders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would guess that if that had been different in the sense that somebody came that wasn't prepared, either the horse or the rider, or maybe they, for example, just didn't, didn't get their horse in shape enough mm -hmm. because like I trained my horse, I put my horse in boarding for two months just to get him legged up to be able to go to that clinic. Cause I know we'd have to work hard. So say somebody came and they're giving excuses why they can't continue doing rundowns or loping around. 
because their horse is out of shape, that would have thrown the balance off. Yeah. I, that's a really interesting perspective. I don't think that it's like unpopular. I think that people re- need to recognize when a clinic is appropriate for them to be a part of and, and asking the right questions before a clinic and understanding what is going to be the expectation of the level that my horse and I as a pair are at prior to starting into any of the work. You know, is this an advanced reining clinic? Is this an introduction to reining clinic? You know, if you've never counter cantered your horse before, you probably, and you don't know how, then you probably don't want to enter into an advanced. And the other part is the cost. This was a very expensive clinic. So if you aren't able to do those things, it's way more financially, it makes a lot of sense to go to, we have some great local trainers that you could go to for cheaper and take lessons from our clinic from and cover those more basic elements of riding that then set you up for success at this more, uh, at a more expensive clinic. Does that make sense? Without It making- does make sense. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, like somebody could speak to the fact that, you know, I'm a green rainer going to this clinic, but at the same time, you know, my horse went and did the things and he said yeah. he was a broke horse. So I felt like I was doing okay. Yeah. But there are other trainers in that clinic then that can transfer that knowledge to the clinics that they do or the horses that they train or the people that they coach. And so if you're at a beginner level, there is a a lot of opportunity locally at a cheaper cost to be able to learn those same things. Yeah, definitely. And that goes for any discipline, not just what we experience. I just thought it was kind of important to make that point that I think there was a reason that it was so good and so well-balanced. Now I'm going to counter this point just a little bit because it was a little different with the Alex Ross clinic because we don't have local clinicians here. We have, I think, one local clinician here that focuses in on the ranch riding. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there are multiple people to go out and get lessons from or clinics from in this specific discipline and that you can you know, get the basics down. So there were, myself included, people going to the Alex Ross clinic that like I went without a ranch riding horse and just going to learn the things about ranch riding. And I was, you know, it was an opportunity and did the things. And, but at the same time, I feel like what you need to understand and to have experience level to be successful in that clinic was different than the reining clinic. Yeah. I, I think that the clinic experience is dictated by the participants that are in it and the level that they're at. So at the Alex Ross clinic, there was a wide range of brand new horses and brand new people to ranch riding to, you know, a couple of trainers and people that have shown in it before. So it was a wider range. So we all worked on similar things, but just at different levels. Yeah. And to be Whereas, fair, yeah. to be fair, there are no strictly ranch riding horses in the Maritimes right now. Is that fair to say? I would say, yeah, because we don't like, and even Alex said this, like, you know, oh, it's not popular here yet. Well, it will be. And I mean, it's been out for, I don't even know, 12 years, Mm -hmm. nine years or something. So it's been way more popular in the U S but here we have the struggle with not having just a dedicated ranch show. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in the U S it's 
it's put in with the AQHA shows. And here we do it with the performance horse shows or the reigning shows. So it's real choppy. And so most of our horses that are doing ranch riding also do reigning. Yeah. So that clinic really was bringing the information that the Maritimes needs to be able to make this, the class more popular. And so it, it lended it, it lent itself to a broader audience of people coming into the, into the discipline. So that, that's where I feel the two clinics really differed was the expectation level. And you just simply couldn't have that higher expectation level of everyone to be there and be prepared to be, you know, doing patterns of ranch riding and know all the things because none of us know all the things it was introduction, no matter what. And that's what, that's what I'm saying. So if he did this in Texas, yeah, then all of the people would have come in with, this is what I want to work on based on my last shows. Exactly. And so that's what I mean when I say like the participants and the horses dictate the clinic in terms of like, if everybody came and knew what they needed to work on, then specific to ranch riding, then it might've been different situation. So let's talk about how it was set up. So for Alex, there were 14 of us. Yeah. Yeah. So two groups of seven. So there were 14 of us. So one less rider than the other clinic, 14 and 15. Those are large numbers for a clinic and, you know, not, not knocking the organization. We need the people to make the, the clinics affordable, but as a participant, 14 or 15 people in a clinic that people are being worked with one-on-one, that's a lot of people. So it makes it a bit of a challenge for the clinician to be able to really work and progress in, in different areas. So that's, that's just kind of like one of my opinions about it. Yeah. So the setup for it was that we would go in, in groups of seven and ride twice a day. Correct. Right. So I should note too, that I had two horses at both clinics. So I typically (sighs) just rode. You just rode all day. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. So the first morning, so we didn't mention Franco did a bit of a chat the evening before we started so that it did the time the first day. So mm-hmm. Alex did a chat the first morning with everyone included. And then we got our horses and yeah. started. So the difference, the primary difference between the two clinics is that Alex came in saying, okay, what do you need to work on? Or you know, this is what we expect of a ranch horse to be soft in the transition. So he he gave us an exercise, a couple exercises. He went through some examples and then each person kind of got to work on that. And depending on how your horse did or how you did, he would critique and help you with that. Mm -hmm. And then he would say, you know, okay, well, what do you want to work on the next time? Yeah. I do feel like he's probably used to working with riders who have more knowledge of the discipline and more experience with the discipline. So then again, it would be easier to go to him with that answer of like, what do I need to work on? Well, you tell me because I don't actually do this discipline and I'm just interested in learning about it so that if a class comes up, I can go and enter and, and know the rules and know how to ride my horse properly and know all the things. So I do feel like the structure of Franco's clinic would have been helpful with this clinic based on our level of understanding of the discipline. 
Right. Yeah. So today we're going to work on transitions or this lesson, we're going to work on transitions. This lesson, we're going to work on lead changes. This lesson, we're going to work on um, a pattern, which day three was fantastic. Yeah. I think working through the patterns really helped people because it really put you in a show mm. pressure situation. And then it made the horse feel the way that, because a lot of these things, people go in and they say, well, my horse does it at home perfectly. It's when I get to the show where he won't slow down properly or he'll brace or open his mouth. And I don't have that at home. And so that's hard thing to teach or to help with when they're not doing it in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely not saying anything negative about the Alex Ross clinic versus the setup of the Franco clinic, just that I feel like the level could have called for a little more structure. Whereas if we had more experience, the, the free flow of the first two days would have been more appropriate than where we were at. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. If you went into the Franco clinic and he said, okay, what do you want to work on? Mm. What would, how would you feel? And what would you have said? Would you have had something to say? I would have been like all the things normally I'm more set up, like going to the gym clinic. I know exactly what I want to work on. Cause you know what to expect. Cause you've been to him so many times. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I had zero expectations going into Franco. I think I might've even said this on the podcast because I didn't really know what to expect. I had no idea how he taught or what he, how he would be like the only thing we had to compare it to was auditing the Casey clinic and then just kind of seeing Andrea and Sean work. And so I had zero expectation. And so I got a lot out of it. If I had been asked, you know, well, what do you want to work on? I would have had a couple things, you know, I would have said my horse a little bracy here, or I want to be able to slow down a little better into my slow circle or something like that. I have a good grasp of the way he acts in a pattern, the way he acts at a show versus home how we are in our different maneuvers, what our normal score would be. And so I could feel confident in that. And I think what you're saying is just the fact that people didn't have those answers going into the ranch riding clinic. Mm -hmm. It's a little unsettling versus like some of the people that have done the patterns before and have had a score before and have known, then you're more prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I particularly did not know the answer to the question because I was riding two horses that were not my own. That is absolutely a fact. Yes. That right. Makes sense too. So like I walk up, he's like, who, who do you have here? I was like, this is my husband's horse. Walk up on the next horse. Who do you have here? Well, this is my friend Rusty's horse. <laughs> so That's I wasn't great even point. working with horses that, that I'm overly familiar with. I've ridden Gator probably 12 times in total, and I've never worked on anything to do with ranch riding with him. Um, and other than, sorry, the, like the day before I left for the clinic, I had a lesson with Emily and we were like, mm-hmm. okay, what, what do we think we should work on today based on the fact we're going into ranch riding clinic and then kicks. Yeah. I had ridden kicks probably five times before I went to the Franco clinic and rode. Yeah. Them. I totally forgot about that in this conversation. You did a great job of just catch riding these horses Thank you. and making them look great and figuring out what they could do and where their potential is and all of those things. So Thank you. I think all of what you said is true. We need more of the ranch riding here. And I think it was great to have Alex here and to have like, he, 
from what I was told, he literally had a part in writing the rules for it. So he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And so it was really neat to run. We did the trail patterns and the, well, the ranch trail and the ranch riding patterns and to see how things were put together in the end. And I definitely had some things that I learned and that I can take home and practice from that as well. Oh, absolutely. It was fantastic. Okay. So let's just switch things up a little bit here for a second. I would love to hear how you felt going into each different clinic. So how you felt about what your expectation on yourself was going into the reigning clinic versus going into the ranch riding clinic. Okay. So it's interesting because it was very different for me going into both clinics. The Franco clinic was stressful leading into it. And we can get into that in a minute. We were the last ones there. We didn't arrive until like dark and everybody's waiting for us to do this chat. And so it was pretty rushed getting in. I was the only person that didn't get to ride my horse that evening. So then I got up very early in the morning and rode first thing in the morning before, so that I would feel comfortable uh, going into the clinic. And so I went into our first group feeling, okay, you know, I had warmed up my horse. Well, I knew how he was going to be the pressure on myself was just, I just wanted to feel like I knew what I was doing and that I belonged. And I did, I've already said that I felt like I was okay. I was prepared. That's all I really wanted out of it. And so that way I was open and ready to learn whatever it was that he was going to teach. And he taught us some things that I've never heard before. And so I really liked that. I didn't feel a lot of internal pressure going into it. And so I felt like the whole weekend was great. Going into the Alex Ross clinic was pretty interesting because I was more nervous. You were jacked up that first morning. Oh man, I was. Yeah. (laughs) I said, I usually, if I'm going to something in the morning like this, uh, I will either not listen to any music. I just can't think because I'm, you know, whatever. I listen to party music all the way there. And so I got there and I was pumped. But I also said to Nikki, like, can you just tell me I don't need to win the clinic? And, and it had nothing to do with me needing to look good. Mm-hmm. It's that I have heard so many times how pretty my horse is and how nice of a mover he is and how great he could do in ranch riding. And I feel this notion that I have to rise to his level and I'm not doing him a good enough service if I can't get him to do the things that I know he's capable of doing. And so I, I felt like, more pressure to perform well to my horse's ability and to get enough out of the clinic that I knew we needed to get out of it in order to do well this year. But that really like dissipated almost immediately. As soon as, as soon as we started talking and I started asking some questions and Alex was very chill and how relaxed it was going to be. Then by the time I got on to ride, I was fine. Yeah. So I could see the difference in you between the two clinics. Uh, It was really interesting to watch you. And I could tell that once you started riding in the Alex clinic, that you kind of just like settled into it. Mm -hmm. It, Well, it's like home now. Yeah. This is normal now. And just a heads up, you absolutely did justice to all of his talent. This, like, it was, it was so nice to watch you do the patterns and see all of the pieces that I've seen you work on 
just Aww. kind of take it. It looked beautiful. Thank you. Um, I do feel like you described very well how I felt about the Franco clinic, minus the fact that I don't really feel like I felt like I wanted to win the clinic in the sense of like feeling this need to like rise to a certain level and be at a certain level. But I did have this internal pressure on myself to just bring it just in a sense of like, there was a girl that we watched. I shouldn't say girl. She was a woman that we watched in Quebec at the Casey Deary clinic. And I wanted to like harness her energy. I wanted to be able to walk into the ring and feel that confident that when somebody said, go and do this, it wasn't a confidence that I was going to go and do the thing perfect, but I wanted to know that I was confident in my fixes of the things. Yeah. Which is weird. Right. But I particularly remember her working her rundowns. And so who I'm talking about is Barbara Bouchard. And she's this itty bitty tiny woman that has a ton of talent and presence when she's Mm -hmm. on a horse and in the ring. And so we can see all these long-legged gentlemen, all that we want doing the things. But when you see somebody that you, you go, oh, I can kind of see myself a little bit in that person. Like she's small, I'm small. And those horses are like, yeah, I'll like, let's do the thing. It made me feel like I could do that too. And so it's been like two years before I could go and walk into a clinic similar to what I watched her in and be like, I want that. Like, I want that feeling. And so when I was doing my rundowns, I feel like I was trying, not trying. I feel like I kind of harnessed that energy of like watching her and seeing her confidence in her fixes and going, I can, I can do that too. I can be that confident. And it was a lot of fun. That's really cool. And you did do that. Don't you think it's in the practice? Yeah. Like you practiced it enough at home. Mm-hmm. that you felt confident when you got there and the watching and the listening and like really listening to him when he was talking about how and why you fix in the maneuvers. So like I started trying to do the fixes before he was telling me because, you know, the eye is always like a little bit late because they have mm-hmm. to see it and then they have to verbalize it. So if I can feel it and fix it as soon as I feel it, then he knows that I'm listening and that I'm putting the pieces together. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I've seen other trainers in clinics before and the, and the clinician is so silent mm-hmm. and they just make their fix. And then they're like, Oh yeah, great. Yep. Okay. You did that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so, and I've had these, these fixes too, that I've done. And you just know, once you start doing it, you know, when to do it. And, and so it's a really great compliment to hear like your timing is so good. You know, when they tell you your timing is good and that, that you did it before they had to tell you to do it. Cause if they have to tell you to do it, it's, it was a little bit late. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a huge compliment and a, a great skill to have that you can find those fixes and do it before the clinician actually tells you to, but not be in a rush about it. You know, you're not trying to prove mm-hmm. anything. It's just a matter of trying to feel it before they see it. Yeah, exactly. That was my goal. That's great. And how about, how did you feel going into Alex? I felt zero pressure. I felt like I was going to just zero pressure. Like I just showed up, I guess part of it too, was there was so much going on 
before the clinic, I barely had time to think about it. Like I didn't even have a truck. I didn't know what truck I was bringing. Rusty was supposed to be with us. We were thinking Rusty was going to be riding her horse. Then all of a sudden Rusty's in Quebec. I'm driving a truck that, you know, I'm a little less comfortable driving uh, Mm -hmm. because it's my husband's baby. And I'm going by myself with two horses that I don't ride. So all of that pressure was there. So when I got to the clinic, it was just a huge relief of just like, right. I'm just here. And I didn't even have time to think about the clinic before it. So then I just was there just a ride and I knew nothing about the discipline. So it was just like, teach me all the things. Yeah. It was fun watching you ride. And especially when the horses were doing the things really cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Nikki, you're into the ranch riding now, aren't you? Are you going to come and show with us? Like, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. It's really fun to do some of that stuff. There's a lot more transitions mm-hmm. up and down than in the raining, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of places to, that you can work on, I guess. Yeah. I definitely got told once that my walk doesn't have to be perfect. And I was like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about our struggles, because I think that we both had different struggles over the two clinics and we can kind of blend them at this point. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if it was one clinic or the other. Uh, And I think it's really important that we speak about these things because every single person struggles in some sort of area. And if we just don't talk about it, then we feel like we're the only ones. Right. Or that there's something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No shame. So let's, let's talk. What was your biggest struggle going into these clinics or during these clinics? So my literally my biggest struggle was getting my horse there and back. That's not an exaggeration. So the long story short is when my horse arrived four years ago, he had a problem on the trailer by itself himself. And he's had some ups and downs being trailered, especially alone. And I've talked to different people about this and I've done a lot of work on it. And it goes up and down. And so I learned with Jim last fall, which would have been the last time he was trailered basically, um, that I just need to do a lot more of the trail. It's not just loading. It's actually being on the trailer. And so I haven't had that opportunity because he was, the trailer goes away all winter. And so as soon as we got it back, we started practicing again. We got 20 minutes from home on our three hour trip to go to the Franco clinic. And he, we had put him in the middle stall where there's a manger. We normally put him in the front stall where there's just a plain door. And, and that was just so that we could care, like haul all our stuff and not have to have it disorganized. Anyway, long story short, he reared up, got his foot in the manger, couldn't get out. We have a camera because we feel that is the safest way to keep an eye on him. And so we had to pull over into a parking lot and safely got him untied and got his feet out. And he was shaken up. It it was not that long, obviously, because we knew as soon as it happened, um, but he was rearing up in there as we were driving on the highway and you can't just pull over on the side of the highway and unload your horse and all of your stuff from your trailer. So we pulled in the parking lot, got everything reorganized. And I was very happy that he loaded back on because he, you know, had, Mm worried himself quite a bit about it and then got back on the trailer. We hemmed and hawed other, like, is he going to continue to do this? We can't just continue to take him on and off the trailer all the way there. 
we made the decision. He was good enough. We kept going, got there. He was fine. He's not hurt, not bothered too much by it until we got to go back on the trailer. And the funny thing is, or the ironic thing is that Travis, where we were at, they had just done a trailer loading clinic there like a couple of weeks prior to this. So when we went to leave at the end of the clinic, I took my horse out and went to load. Of course, he doesn't want to get on. The last time is very stressful. But in my years, I'm very proud that now when I go to load a horse that can't get on, I'm very confident in how I handle it, especially with my own horse who I know very well. And so Mark just stood there and he knows enough now to just, he'll offer to help once in a while, or I'll just be like, no, I'm good. So I just stood there in the trailer for a couple minutes. The horse kind of came on, backed off a couple times. And then eventually he got on because I know he's going to just get on eventually. There's no sense in getting worked up about it or feeling pressure or putting pressure on him. He got on. He was fine. We got home. No problem. But as people from the burn were walking behind me, like they're, they're literally like taking in horses out of the field as I'm loading him on, which is another thing where you could get frustrated about if you're feeling a lot of pressure, right? Internally, you could start blaming other people for your horse being unfocused or it bothering him. And now he won't get on the trailer because he hears other horses walking by. But I was like, whatever, it's fine. It doesn't matter. But I was thinking they're probably like that girl should have came to our trailer loading clinic last week. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, no, he's just really in my head. I'm like, he's just really worried because he went through a bit of a traumatic experience last time. And so getting home was a little better going the next time was a little better. And so it's just going to continue to get better. But I did think it was important to tell the story because anytime I tell someone about this, I have a feeling that they're thinking, oh, you should be a little embarrassed about that. Or I would be a little ashamed if I was telling people that my, you know, pretty broke horse has a problem on the trailer and I'm not. Mm -hmm. The only thing that bothers me is that I haven't been able to fix it yet, but I can't say that I've invested enough time into it that I should be embarrassed about it. You know what I mean? Mark did say, I think you need to spend less time practicing for your shows and a little more time practicing on the trailer, which is true. Mm -hmm. I heard or read a line recently that really resonated with me and helped me through a moment during the clinics. And I think it just is perfect to go with your story as well. And it's, it's only embarrassing if you're embarrassed as you were going and trying to load your horse and people are walking by, you could very easily have started to convince yourself that it was an embarrassing situation and then started adding more pressure uh, to yourself, to your horse for things to just become more escalated. And rather than that, you were really clear about why it was happening. You knew exactly why the situation was happening. You had confidence in your tools And so it wasn't embarrassing because you knew that it wasn't, you just had not committed to that story. Yeah, I'm not, I refuse to, and I refuse to be, I refuse to fall into the trap that I shouldn't tell people about it because what if I sold him? I feel like that's what people think. And it just, it, it it makes me a little angry because honestly, if I went to sell my horse, I wouldn't hide the fact that that had happened. The first things you talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so if that is somebody's thought, I'm a little questionable about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If well, you want to really hide something that. that happens, you know? 
Yeah. It's just, I tell these stories and I, I talk about, I'm honest about some of the things that happen because I think that there are people that might not go because of the issue or yeah. because they think my horse just won't load. So I, I'm not going to try or I won't go. And it's like, no, we work through the problems. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on that. And I think it's important too, to talk about it because we very easily could feel like in order for us to do the things, things have to be perfect. Like all of the things have to be perfect. And it's just never going to be the case, both with ourselves and our horses. There's always going to be at least something that needs work. And this just happens to be one of those things. And there really is no shame in having the conversation around it. And that's really part of finding solutions is if you didn't have the conversation and all you did was like load them in the trailer and run away, then you might miss an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that says, man, I had a horse that had the exact same problem. And this is what I did to support them. Maybe try that. Oh yeah. Can we talk a little, okay. So let's talk about your issues because that just reminded me of something else that had come up with you. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Okay. So my issue was a mental capacity issue (laughs) and it wasn't, I knew the reason why that it was happening, but it very easily could have flustered me to the point where I started to shut down even more or that I could have convinced myself that I needed to be embarrassed about it. First of all, because of the level of the clinic that I was in and the the impression of how simple of an exercise I was working on was. So in the Franco clinic, we're now remembering that I was riding two horses and we were riding twice a day. There's a certain level of, of internal pressure there to like, make sure that you're focused and doing things. I had a couple people comment on my focus in the clinic and going into it with that being my, you know, my real intention, I was pretty hyper-focused when I was in there. I was expecting a lot of myself mentally. And so then by the time I got to my very last ride on Ford, I could start to feel myself get to a point where I was like, I am mentally exhausted right now. So it came out in a very simple exercise. So we're working on the rollback and rather than just do a regular rollback, he wanted us to do a three quarter turn. So you just go beyond where you would normally come out and you leave, you know, a little bit late. And that sounds really simple, but I knew as soon as I saw it, I walked to the other end of the arena and I started practicing it at the walk because we're doing it at the lope. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I couldn't do it at the walk, there was going to be obviously a problem. So I started doing it at the walk and I struggled at the walk. And I, this is the only time that I could feel myself go into a little bit of panic where I was like, Oh my, like there are people watching I'm at this clinic and I'm, I'm struggling with a really simple task. Now with, when I think of the amount of stuff that I had done over the last two days, Um, including like all of the stuff leading up to it, all of it's exhausting, the trailering, the, the packing and all of the things you have to, you know, give yourself a little grace. So I went to do the exercise 
And of course I made a bobble as pretty much as soon as I picked up a lope and he said, okay, I, you know, stop, turn. And I did not turn three quarters. And the first thing I hear is somebody make fun of me from the audience about the fact that wasn't I a teacher? I'm like, first of all, I'm not a math teacher. I'm an English teacher. Um, (laughs) And so it it became a little bit of a joke, which was fine. It actually allowed for me to like laugh at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did leave that lesson with the pressure of like, I better pull myself together for the next one. What happened was that I needed to have a very clear exit point in my head so that I could go through the process of, it's not like it was just the leaving it was the specifics of the turn. Like Hmm. I use my leg when I get my horse to turn, he wanted us to only, so we had to stop. We had to wait. We had to turn just off the hand and put our leg on at a specific time and lope out at three quarters. And so my, my mind could not, could not do all of those things at a certain level. Yeah. I felt your pain. Um, and I understand like you're getting near the end of the clinic, you're riding two horses. So they're two little bit different mm-hmm. way, like methods. And I went first in that exercise. So I was a little bit of the guinea pig to try it. And I remember coming out of that going, it's not as easy as it looks. Cause you have to figure out where you're coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was like, you quickly realized, cause I know he had kind of said to you, like, don't do it in the same place. Cause once you know, you can do it in one area, then you're like, okay, well, I know I can turn left or right from that area. And then you have to remember, oh, you don't want to tell the horse that they're going to stop in the same place every time. So my conclusion is that I needed him to just tell me when to leave. So I, I knew that for my horse and my riding, I, I just couldn't add that to the list of things that I needed to know what to do when I stopped. Um, so he placed himself in the arena and said, okay, ride to me. Okay. Ride to me. That's exactly what I needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And he was really good about it. And I was really grateful for that. Now I wanted to go into the next ride and not need that, but I still kind of did. So what happened in my next ride, I was a little proud of because I could have got frustrated with myself. And instead I just gave myself what I needed. And I just needed to go back to neutral and just give myself a second to think because my mind was like, I was thinking too much instead of just riding and just, you know, doing the thing. So I, as soon as I stopped, so he's like, okay, stop. As soon as I stopped, I knew I had no idea where I was going. At one point, I'm pretty sure I didn't even know which way I was turning. And I said that. So I stopped and I just put my hands down and I said, I just need a minute. Like, just give me a minute. I needed to be able to just slow my thinking down, figure out where I was at mentally and physically, and then not put extra pressure on my horse, not ask my horse to do something while I was in that, that frame of mind. And I needed to just let go of all the pressure and then just ride my horse the way I know how to ride a horse. That's it. And so once I did that, once I really forced myself just to be able to say out loud, I just need a minute. I just need to like sit down, (laughs) just take a breath. I felt more confident and comfortable going and doing it again. That's good. Yeah. You just need to collect your thoughts. I think as soon as sometimes you start thinking different directions, it gets confusing. I find that when you're working, like the counter counter not only change, it always like, it can just 
get me mixed up when you're trying to go one direction and push the shoulder another direction. And then you're trying to go the other, you know, it's just, it's a lot to take in at once. Like, and like you said, you're also learning a different technique to do the maneuver as well. So you did a great job. Well, thank you. It was, it was, and I mean, we went to supper that night and I, I caught a little heat. I have to say I got a little heat. And I had to remind myself, it's only embarrassing if you're embarrassed and it's, it really wasn't a big deal. Like I can guarantee that everybody at some point when they're working on something gets a little bit confused and you just have to go, I just need a minute. I've been there so many times that it wouldn't even occur to me that it would be embarrassing because I've (laughs) had to do that before. (laughs) You've seen me do that before with Jim. Like, uh, I just need a second to figure out what direction I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is relatable for sure. (laughs) Yeah. The one thing, if you don't mind talking about that, when you were talking about my issue and figuring and end up talking to someone else who has a similar issue was about the face mask. Yes. So our white face horse developed a bit of a head twitch after we bought him. And so I had an opportunity to talk to somebody at the Alex Ross clinic, who's had some pretty extensive experience with it. And I actually had an opportunity to talk to to Alex about it as well. And had I just ignored the issue and been like, oh, this is not, you know, it's, it's not something I want to talk about because, you know, we'll probably sell him. Well, the person's going to know that he has a bit of a head twitch unless we are really active in figuring it out. Um, It's not something that we need to hide because it's, it's not something to be embarrassed about. And so I had an opportunity to talk to a few people and Tessa had some really great suggestions because she's had experience with it from at like a couple different levels. So she suggested that I look up hides compression masks for horses and they have the compression suits and other things as well, but the mask creates a pressure on the nose that helps alleviate this head twitch. And so his is not, it's far from extreme and she's definitely, it just looks like a a fly taps him on the nose. And so she and I talked about it and I felt like when I, after I had those conversations with people, I was able to have a direction to go instead of just ignoring it and being like, meh, you know, he does this thing sometimes, but to actually look into why he's doing it and see if we can offer him some support in it and some help. And so I have a vet coming in on Monday and we're going to look at the different areas that it could possibly be creating it. Um, so it was, it was really good to have the conversations and, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah. yeah, again, nothing to be embarrassed about. And you don't want to go around just hoping it doesn't happen. Just right. like us, like you don't want to hope yes. that, oh, he gets on the trailer and everything's okay without actually doing anything about it. Yeah. And to just happen to have the conversation and run into someone who has dealt with something similarly, it just mm-hmm. opens up that possibility that there's other options that you haven't thought of. So I thought that was great. Yeah. And honestly, something like trailer loading, that's pretty common. That's something that people, we all have to load our horses on and, and on a regular basis, horses decide they don't really want to go and do the thing that you want to go and do. So you have to work through the problem. This is the first time I've ever had a horse that had a head twitch and it is not very common. You don't speak to a lot of people who have dealt with it. I felt really, um, really lucky to be able to talk to people who have had experience with it, to be able to find the answers. 
instead of just being like, no, my horse doesn't do that. It's just a fly. I swear. Right. Yeah. Oh, he really minds the flies. There's so many things that it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So now he did really mind the flies, but yes, (laughs) (laughs) but he also had, yeah, he definitely developed a bit of a head twitch. So that's a lot of things to do with the clinics, but I think, I think we've come to a point where when we do the things, I mean, the podcast definitely offers us this opportunity to dig deep, but I think we naturally are, are these type of people anyway. So it's really great to be able to talk all of these things out after we go and do these things together. And after we go and do clinics or shows together and, um, and be able to process it all. Guys, do any of you debrief after you do a horse show or a clinic like we yeah, do? Who's your debriefer? Because <laughs> we literally do this every time. Like this would have happened whether we had a podcast or not. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we literally go over all of it in detail like this anyway. So this is why we talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> I really feel like people just had an opportunity to sit on it in on one of our regular phone calls after mm-hmm. an event. Yeah. We don't want to be perfect. We just want to improve. Right. So we just constantly go over the things. How could we do better? What would we would change? What did we love about it? All of the things. And yeah. Did you, do you want to say what your biggest takeaway is? Do you have any big takeaways from either? Alex said something really cool at the end, and that was that he likes to approach riding his horses like a coach versus a trainer. And that left me with some things to really think about. I can't say that I've landed on all of the things, but it's, it's a line that I took home and that I will continue to like ruminate on and see how it influences how I work with horses. Hmm. That was a takeaway for me. The takeaway, again, the biggest takeaway from the Franco was, I would say, the opportunity that he presented us with when he did not ask our story. That's very enlightened of you. Well, thank you. (laughs) That's good. I like the thing about Alex, too. I thought it was really neat that he was so that he made it so important that you praise your horse when they did the right thing. Not just give them a break, not just, not just stop. It was pat your horse, like and rub your horse and it, let them know. Right. Connecting it to why, why do you, if your horse does something right, why do you pet them? And he made it very clear. Do not smack your horse. Your, your horse's mother did not like hit them with their hoof. Just lay a hand on your horse and give them a soft touch. And why? Because it connects to one of their very first memories when they were born. I was like, yeah. I am glad I didn't hear him say the whole thing about don't pat them, but I've thought that for a long, long time. And so I I appreciate that one. Yeah. It's really neat. It's like, Oh, he's a little bit on the positive reinforcement. That's cool. Like Mm -hmm. I like that. And so I I thought that was interesting. My biggest takeaway from Franco was when my horse was doing a fast circle and he swapped leads in the back, which he's done before. And I thought that that was just my cue that that's as fast as we should go. 
and that it was, if, if he's turning and he swaps leads in the back, like, just don't push him any faster. Cause that's probably your comfort level. And he was like, no, turn him like, just mm-hmm. steer that horse. He's not balancing well enough. He needs to learn to balance so that he's not putting all the pressure or all the weight on his inside leg. Okay. So I do have another takeaway. The takeaway from Franco was that a horse is a horse. And actually it was pretty, very, very similar to Alex and that Franco's fixes for his maneuvers were done the same on every single horse in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Oh, your horse is leaning in. You're going to steer him. Oh, your horse is leaning in steer him. Nothing was made complicated by what horse it was, what mm-hmm. level they were at, you know, what level rider was on them. It was very simple and the corrections were the same, no matter who you were. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. It's, I feel very fortunate that we had the opportunity to mm-hmm. go to those two clinics and it looks like they're going to be coming back. So, yeah. And very grateful for the people who take the time to host them and take the time to organize them. And, um, yeah, it, just very grateful. If you are on the fence about going to a clinic, I highly recommend if you don't feel you're ready to take your horse there, then audit because oh, either sure. one of those clinics, the auditors got so much for their money, the value in auditing a clinic, no matter if it's a couple hundred dollars or if it's $50, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. One last thing before we go, this is running late, but I want you guys to, if you're interested in a giveaway that we have coming up very soon, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook. It's just informed equestrian, or you can find us by Canada horse podcast. We have something pretty cool coming up in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Oh, and I will just make one small announcement um, just because some of you may be listening to this and may not have seen yet. Um, But if you receive a message from my old Instagram account about offering up any sort of money or any sort of endorsement that I'm getting from a mentor company, it is not me. My new Instagram is I am Nikki Porter coaching. And I was hacked and don't fall for it. Sorry. And if anybody's thinking, why didn't you just delete the account? I can't. It's brutal. So yeah, make sure you're following. I am Nikki Porter coaching and get rid of block the old one. That's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Please report it. I haven't been able to get them to take it down in over a month. So I really appreciate the sport in it. And I apologize for the inconvenience. Okay. (laughs) I think that that about covers all the things. Actually, I feel like we could talk more on it, but we're going to actually, we're going to stop. We have to go. We have to stop recording. All right. Thanks for listening guys. Bye everybody. for listening today. If you know a fellow Canadian equestrian or equine business you think needs to be highlighted on the show, be sure to email podcast at informedequestrian.com so we can be in touch. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to send us some love is by sharing about Canada Horse Podcast and Informed Equestrian with your friends. And leaving a review is always appreciated. Your support means the world to us. Until next time. Right on, Canada. Canada.